Do you regret at all all the lying you've done to the American people? On all everything? the what? All the lying, all the dishonesties. That who has done? You have done. Uh, I've been waiting years for someone to ask Trump that question. Well, I don't From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, elsewhere in California, on KFOI Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain, KGOE Eureka in Oregon, KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO in Cottage Grove, KEPW in Eugene, Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii, KAKU, Columbus, Ohio, WGRN, in Palinville, New York, WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM950, KTNF, and coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the Globe five days a week is usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com. But today, once again, you got me. I'm Nicole Sandler, and I'm very excited about today's show. Now, as you well know, the country is in a major mess. A global pandemic is bad enough, but here in the United States, a nation that should have been leading the world in its response, the contagion has been exacerbated by an incompetent man-child, science-denying conspiracy theorist who's more concerned about staying in power than he is about the safety of the American public. To add insult to injury, this interloper is now openly sabotaging the U.S. Postal Service in order to hinder our ability to vote by mail in the upcoming presidential election in November, and is planting minefields of distrust in the sanctity of our electoral process, as polls show him losing badly. I could go on, but I think you get the extent of my frustration at the moment. So today, instead of an extended segment in which I regurgitate the depressing news of the day, we're going to devote pretty much the entire program to a conversation with one of my favorite guests, author Thomas Frank. Thomas Frank has written some of the most essential books for politically involved and curious progressives, including What's the Matter with Kansas, The Wrecking Crew, Listen Liberal, and a bunch of others. And he's back with a brand new one called The People No, A Brief History of Anti-Populism. Thomas Frank is my guest today on the broadcast. I said it over and over again. You are one of my favorite all-time guests to have on this program. And I miss you when you are off writing a book because you're not as accessible as you had been prior when you were writing a weekly column, for instance. I know, I know. Well, you know, times change, Nicole. But uh, it is fun to uh, – I remember those days. I used to be on your show all the time. Yeah. Do you remember that? I do. I remember it very fondly, and I, I do miss those days. Um, but I'm certainly glad you're here now. So, Thomas Frank, the occasion is 
your new book, The People, comma, Know, A Brief History of Antipopulism. Now, the people know, or is it the people know? The people know. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So, Nicole, as you know, there's a famous book from 1936 called The People, Yes. Yes. Carl, Carl Sandberg. Sandberg. You see all the all the sticky notes. I I've do. Yeah. So, and there's there's Carl himself enjoying a nice stogie. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. It, and it's uh, it's a uh, book length. It's like a three hundred page poem about the genius of the ordinary. Uh, he was. They called him the poet of the people. And it was a it, it was a celebration of you know uh, how Americans talked, how they thought, uh, ordinary Americans. And the 1930s was um, was chock full of that kind of populism, that kind of uh, sort of it was the you know the decade of the common man, mm-hmm. uh, and there there was all kinds of of celebrations of ordinariness like that. Just think about you know Frank Capra movies or something like that. Tons of this sort of thing uh, in the 1930s, and uh, and that's that's where I took the title from because we're. The way you know today we're we're in this situation where the uh, you know the 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 legatees of FDR the legatees of the 1930s you know are really not interested in um, in ordinary people and how they think and how they do right okay cynical <laughs> cynicism is us hey i'm the one who uh, my name is sin nicole i often put a cy in front of the nicole just because you know life brings me there so it's in it's in my blood so tom yeah. frank the, so the but but the, what i was getting out of the play on words like the people know or yeah, the people do. know yeah, yeah no you are not the first one to um uh, i'm sorry I, and, and of course i went off on a long <laughs> that's okay I, I apologize uh, no no, but, no. Uh, uh, uh yes that was very clever of you nicole <laughs> next that's next question how my mind works okay so populism your this book is about your, a brief history of anti-populism but before yeah, we can populism talk about and the people who hate it yes. <laughs> but we, before we can talk about anti-populism we really should talk about what it is and i think yeah. off it's some somewhat like the democratic party and the republican party that sort of switched places uh, along the lines that the idea of the populist did as well right the populist was yeah, the people it's, we it's the been, people it's been yeah it's been flipped yeah. Uh, in so, populism was, uh, you know, the, the actual movement that called itself populism. These are the people, by the way, who invented the word. They coined it one day in 1891. Uh, populism. Uh, the the people who invented the word. It was a progressive movement. It was mm-hmm. a uh, a movement of farmers and workers that were uh, that were sort of uh, rising up to demand fundamental changes in the economy and in the way the political system worked. This is the 1890s. Remember, it was a time of incredible concentration of wealth, uh-huh. extreme inequality, uh-huh. uh, and, uh, uh, you know, monopolies. Uh, it was all, all that was perfectly legal was going on. And, uh, uh, and, and also in, incredible, uh, corruption, political corruption, by the way, all, all three things which are happening again right today. now. Exactly. Yeah, it's all, it's all with us again. And the, uh, and the populists were, uh, were rising up to, to, to take this system on, and uh, that's that's the original meaning of the word, and that was the meaning of the word 
uh, right up into the 1950s um, when uh, the word was more or less deliberately flipped uh, by uh, a group of, of uh, American intellectuals who decided that no, uh, mass movements of working class people were really dangerous things, huh. things that you did not want. Anyhow, that's the story that I tell in this book. So where does the word come from? How did the word get flipped? Why did they flip it? And then the biggest question of all, why did a wrong definition catch on in the way that it has? And so today, you know, you open up the newspaper, you open up the New York Times, the Washington Post, and they the word populism always to them means um, – racist authoritarian right always and it's like it's like wow <laughs> you know it's completely the opposite of of this of of the the people that coined the term right and it's the, completely the opposite frankly of the way i think about it and so it's there's a disconnect so when i see news coverage of um uh you know bolsonaro or yeah. or duterte or or yeah. um erdogan and they talk about them as populists now i don't yeah. get that how are they for the people how are they was, about the people okay. just to, to make you really i mean it's not funny it's horrible <laughs> right. i was watching i was watching a um documentary about world war ii the other day and they referred to hitler as a populist <laughs> It's just like what? it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. It's like, no, the populist in that particular struggle was our guy, yeah. Franklin Roosevelt. Right. You know, the guy, the guy that the guy that uh, that, that that destroyed Hitler's Germany. That's who that's who the populists were in that fight. But um yeah, we've we have gone such a long way down this road. But I, I have to tell you, writing this book was a lot of fun, untangling this mystery. And then along the way, um, as I as I did that, you know, sort of telling the story of different populist movements in America, uh, along the way uh, uncovering this other really interesting thing the 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 phenomenon that i call anti-populism yes. you know the people who hated populism in the 1890s and who still hate it today uh using the same terminology the same sort of vision of the world uh of this this hierarchical world that has been threatened or turned upside down by um you know these deplorable lower class people uh that vision uh is startling to see how it continues and gets expressed in different ways uh, over the decades in American life. Yeah, but you know, so again, I, I go with the disconnect. I, I, I understand what you're saying. And it and it this is what has happened in history. There has been this flip. Um, yeah. But I look at, you know, Donald Trump, the, the fact <laughs> <laughs> that that he was able you look to at Donald Trump and you're like wow yeah. look at that awesome look, hair look at, oh yeah that's not what I say but you know nice thought anyway I look at that thing on top you're of like, his head perhaps the, the, but the good taste that guy has <laughs> I just read a thing where it takes him like two hours every morning to do all his makeup and hair and stuff the ego of this man is beyond yeah. but 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 that aside the fact is this is a guy who never wanted for anything in his life he grew up you know was born with a proverbial silver spoon um yeah. he's exaggerated his wealth to make him seem bigger in his mind and others than he really is but the same yeah. by like, the same like token one of those fish that puffs itself <laughs> right. up you know? but he has no clue what the average person goes through yet he pretends i feel your pain um yeah. and that's 
populism? Let's hand it to him. He he actually did a fairly good job at at that in 2016, a fairly persuasive job, or a lot of people thought he did. I don't think he's going to be able to pull it off this time. Not not with this epidemic raging all around and his bungled, incredibly poor response to it. I don't think he'll be able to make it work for uh, this time. I certainly hope Sorry. not. And and, and we're in the middle. Myself, that's okay. We're we're in the middle of this pandemic, this huge major crisis. That you know, it was one thing for him to coast along for about three years when we didn't have a, a, a global emergency. But once you need leadership, you realize how yeah. you know what horrible. It's nice, have, it's nice to have someone that knows what they're doing. You exactly. know, it, it is funny that they that they, that things were able to work as well. Things worked as well as they did for the first three years of his administration. I mean, there were all sorts of disasters, and the guy, you know, is is he's full of in like so many different ways. But still, we managed to sort of uh, sort of stumble along and to this point where early, before the pandemic hit, the you know unemployment was at this extreme uh, low point. The economy was roaring. It was kind of weird. Um, you know, we muddled through and then and now it's like, oh, my God, muddling, you know, no thanks. I, it would be nice to have someone that knows what they're doing in there. <sighs> Yes, Anyhow, Nicole, I, I hope we don't spend this time talking about Trump. He's, no. He only comes up at the very tail end of this well, book. No, we will not make this all about Trump. In a moment, we'll continue this conversation with Thomas Frank about his new book, The People Know. And next, we'll get the story about the origins. The oranges. No, the origins of the populist movement. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. What the public hears over the public airwaves matters. Without an informed electorate, we've got, well, we got what we have right now. We do our best on the broadcast five days a week to balance that with accurate reporting on issues that actually matter. We don't always get it right, but we try like hell to do so. And we do it all independently and without the influence of corporate or political funding. But we can't do it without you. Please don't presume others will step up. We need you to help us keep doing what Desi Doyen and myself try to do every day on the Bradcast. Please help us continue to do so by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep the Bradcast going and telling the truth over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. Don't wait. Please stop by today. Thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm your guest host, Nicole Sandler, filling in for Brad and Desi today. And we're speaking with Thomas Frank about his new book, The People Know, A Brief History of Anti-Populism. So let's get into the history of populism and how we got to where we are today, a place I call opposite world, where fascists and wannabes like Trump have co-opted the term and the movement. Let's start by talking about the 1890s. Okay. Okay. This movement in the 1890s, as I mentioned, it was a time very similar to today because there's this extreme concentration of wealth. We don't really know how extreme because the, we did, there were, this was before the income tax and they didn't keep uh, good numbers, but the economists have tried to estimate it. And by all estimates, we're way, we're beyond, uh, the, the kind of concentration of wealth that they had back then. And, um, 
extreme political corruption, which goes mm-hmm. hand in hand mm-hmm. with extreme concentration of wealth. And of course, uh, it was a time before there was any sort of real government regulation of anything. There were laws against antitrust, but they weren't uh, against monopolies, but they weren't really enforced. Here comes this reform movement uh, coming out of Kansas and the and the Great Plains and also the South that is demanding uh, that the, the government step in and make these reforms, you know, enact an income tax, uh, take over the railroad roads, uh, you know, go up against Wall Street, all, all those sorts of things. And along the way, uh, they were the first party to demand votes for women. Mm. And they actually achieved that in several of the states where they came into power in Idaho and in Colorado um, and a bunch of other reforms uh, like that. And um, the story of populism is really interesting, and I will be glad to talk about any particular detail of it that, that, that you want to hear about. But the, the, the part of the story that is so fascinating is what happened to um, – you know what happened to populism? How, how it came a cropper? Yeah. And what happened is so the 1890s. You, it, it's a it's a depression time. You know the the economy is in a terrible state, and all of a sudden populism, this reform movement uh, made up of uh, uh, angry farmers who have been their way of life has been being destroyed. And farmers were, by the way, e- e- close to an absolute majority of the American population at mm. the time, and they were a uh, a disgruntled class of people uh and you know they were signing up for this movement and then industrial workers started signing up for the movement you know the idea was to build a kind of labor party here in america and uh, the party was growing by leaps and bounds it looks like these guys are the great coming force in american life uh this populist party and then 1896 comes along and the democrats uh meet for their convention and uh they sort of throw over the sitting president of the United States, who is a Democrat, Grover Cleveland, uh-huh. and they nominate instead this 36-year-old guy called William Jennings Bryan, who talks like a populist and has just given this incredible barn burner of a speech about the gold standard and how we have to get off the gold standard, which was a major populist issue. The populists were against the gold standard. Okay. Um, and I can tell you what – if you want to know like all the details about the gold standard i'm the guy to ask but <laughs> you don't really need to there's know there's a reason we're yeah, not on the gold I'll standard i'll just remind you it, the gold hmm. standard was a really bad thing right it was it was really 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 good for <laughs> bankers but it was really bad for ordinary people so anyhow <laughs> brian gives this great speech denouncing the gold standard the uh populists meet in their convention this is at a time when there are three main parties wow. in america the populists meet for their convention uh, uh you know a, a, a few weeks later and they say well you know he's not with us on everything but he's with us on one really big thing so we're going to go ahead and we're going to endorse him also and the when that happened the you know these two parties coming together behind this guy who appears to be a radical the uh press of this country that the newspapers uh came together with the tycoons and the millionaires and the bankers and the uh, academics and the clergy in what i call a democracy scare they 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 there was a kind of a hysterical reaction to Brian and to Brianism. And uh, they called him a radical. They called him an anarchist. They called him a Jacobin. They thought they compared him to Robespierre. They uh, thought he was, you know, this was the French Revolution coming home to America. They called him a repudiationist. Uh, and they attacked him in the most vicious way. 
And all of their attacks centered on this one basic idea, which is that uh, what Brian represented was this the riffraff using universal democracy to try to take the power away from the people who rightfully held the power, meaning the elites, mm -hmm. uh, the people who ran the corporations and ran the universities and ran the newspapers, that those people, their, their control of America, they were in charge because God put them in charge, basically. <laughs> they were at the top of the hierarchy because they deserved to be uh, at the top of the hierarchy. Right. And Brian and his people were at the bottom because, God damn it, they deserved to be at the bottom. These were ne'er-do-wells and screw-ups and, you know. Deplorables. Uh, labor yeah, deplorables. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now uh -huh. you're getting it. And, uh, and they – they uh, they they went they kind of went ballistic against Brian and I, if you go to my website Nicole tcfrank.com yes. I've got a bunch of the political cartoons You do and and they're in the middle of the book campaign. and and I got to tell you like, I'm a you sucker see him to believe him I'm know? a sucker for you know books with pictures cuz I'm still a kid and so I immediately saw ooh there's something in here when I first got the book and I opened it up and right in the middle you've got an insert with these wonderful political cartoons from back in the late 1800s which you have yes. conveniently put on the website time. and the, the, the themes continue yes. they, the, the themes are similar Right from the through to today, up to today, That's it's right. kind of kind of crazy. It really but is. Uh, I've got I've got a a, the, a a lot more of them on the website. A whole, you know, uh, you know, like uh, like ten or so, and some of them are just outrageous. There's one that shows uh, Brian William Jennings Brian as Satan. Wow. <laughs> You know, incredible. There's another one that shows him as an Italian immigrant who has just knifed Lady Liberty oh and God. she lies dying <laughs> on the steps of the U.S. Treasury. It's like, what? Wow. What were they thinking? And, uh, you know, on and on and on like this. And anyhow, they, they in this campaign against Brianism, they wanted a, a single word to describe Brianism. You know, and he was, the, as I said, the nominee of the Democratic Party. And the word that they settled on to describe it was populism. Huh. Okay, because huh. they, they, populism was this had been this radical movement, and they didn't it, they didn't really care what populism actually believed. <laughs> you know, the, the idea was just to insult these people and embarrass them, and to refer, call them crazy, uh, say that they were deluded. You know that they uh, that they didn't understand. They were so that was supposed to be a put down, a put down of the common man. Exactly. And uh, that's where it begins. So uh -huh. you start off with two definitions. The definition number one, which is what the populists actually were and what they thought they were doing, which is building a mass movement for economic reform, a movement of working people from all different races and backgrounds. And, and it, was, it was something very progressive by the standards of, of the 1890s, it, it, very progressive. Mm -hmm. and, and then you have the, the establishment's definition of populism, which is this this uh, uh, movement of people who are mentally ill, who are revolutionaries, who are up to no good, who are uh, uh, riffraff, people at the very bottom who have this resentment. The key word there is resentment. Their, their, their hatred of the system is not rational. It's just a form of resentment. Uh, it's There's something pathological about it, okay? Okay. And then – so that's the 1890s and um, – that, by the way, that was the end of the Populist Party after they, they signed on with Brian uh, and he proceeded to lose uh, you know, in this shocking defeat. They were very you – know, uh, that was 
they had made this gamble getting on board with Brian. The gamble didn't pay off, and the and the the populist party fell apart, wow. and it disappeared. Uh, and then, uh, but you have a kind of uh, renewed populism in the 1930s when all of these same themes you uh, come back into American politics, but this time triumphantly, right, uh, right? In the in the in the form of the New Deal and in the form of the labor movement. So instead of a, there were farmer movements in the 1930s, of course, but there were also there was also the labor movement, which grew by leaps and bounds, tripled in size in the course of the decade, and really revolutionized. American society and the way money was the the way income was distributed in this country and made America into the great middle class society that people like you and me who are old enough to remember uh, you know we, we oh, remember those be, well yes. we don't remember the 1930s but we remember yeah. when America was a middle class country That's was right. a great sort of uh, social democracy uh, and that was the doing of 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 this kind of 1930s style populism that we started the show with Carl Sandburg, uh, Frank Capra, you think of the, uh, uh, what is it? Fanfare for the common man, sure. Aaron uh, Copeland, you know, right? uh, uh, all of those, all of the wonderful, uh, cultural productions of that era, the WPA murals, yeah. uh, but above all the figure of Franklin Roosevelt, who is a sort of great hero and used this populist language and got these very populist things done. He, he is the one who took us off the gold standard. He finally did it. Mm-hmm. He got farm programs passed. He did indeed go come down hard on Wall Street uh, and bankers in general and, and really sort of brought this uh, – the populist program to consummation. Right. But so- that's – that's not where the word flips. That okay. comes later. Okay. <laughs> All right. Because here, yes. I, please, no. You're. Talking? I have this problem, Nicole. You know this. I, I, I will just blab. If and, you that, and that's fine with me because you're doing a great job explaining it. But <laughs> yet we think of FDR and the New Deal and all those programs. That is the height of populism, right? Yes. That's what it was that's- about the people. That was the populist, the, the decade of the common man. It was the populist decade par excellence and you you can see it in any world war ii movie you know that you know like like uh, eight guys on the b-17 and they're all from these different <laughs> backgrounds but you know it's all about the uh the the innate wisdom of ordinary people that that is the sort of recurring theme in the 1930s and so i i you know that's all that's all very well known by the way all the sort of cultural history of the 1930s has been written about Again and again and again and again. I I decided to look up the people who hated Roosevelt, which is really fascinating, the anti-populists of the 1930s. And it was very similar to the 1890s, to the reaction against William Jennings Bryan. Um, You have once again the American establishment comes together uh, in a kind of uh, 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 consensus, a kind of common front against Roosevelt. Uh, it's led this time by uh, the National Association of Manufacturers, which is you know an, an industrial uh, front group, by uh, uh, the newspapers uh-huh. of America. The newspapers of this country hated Franklin Roosevelt, despised him, and again, economists, eminent lawyers, the sort of you know the uh, orthodox uh, academia of the 1930s, all of the the establishment again came together against Roosevelt. 
uh, and denounced him in the most ferocious, the most extreme way. Uh, and uh, used a, I, I, I went out, I went, uh, you know, and, and dug up a lot of their denunciations of Roosevelt, which are much easier to research now, by the way, than they used to be, because oh, you can read all these old old newspapers and pamphlets online, and stuff. Right. You can read them online. Right. And, uh, and the way they did, what we don't remember now, we remember that this happened, right? That in 1936, the powers that be came together against Roosevelt to try to put him down. And what we forget is the exact arguments that they used against him. And it was the, the same stuff that they had tried in 1896, that the, that the New Deal represented an uprising of the unfit, in which people who were lazy and incompetent were trying to use the democratic process to gain the upper hand over the rightful owners of America, the rightful masters of America, the people who were in charge because they deserved to be in charge. It sounds and, uh, like the same as, they're slinging today with, exactly. uh, of course. So it's history. But, repeating but here, the, 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 the funniest part about this, this uh, 1930 stuff is there's all of this racism mixed into it to the, to the right wing reaction <laughs> against Roosevelt, which I did not know about uh, ra scientific racism. It was called eugenics okay. and it was a, a, this whole pseudoscience about uh, DNA. Well, they didn't they didn't know what DNA was at the time, but they would say the reason these people, People are in the working class is duh because they have bad genes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know, and the reason we own industry, the reason we are in the driver's seat in this country is because we have good genes, and we were born, you know, to the uh, to, to these people who, you know, it, through this process of breeding and, and selection and social Darwinism, it's just the craziest stuff. And can you imagine Nicole trying to win an election by saying stuff like that over the radio, which is what they did? Yeah. They would national radio hookups and they would say crap like this and uh you know long story short they they got their ass handed to them roosevelt beat them in one of the biggest uh landslides of all time in 1936 he won every state but two it was just a crushing defeat and what can i tell you one of the interesting uh, little facts about please that? yes a little interesting detail uh after it was over, all of these people went out and studied, you know, what had gone wrong <laughs> with this campaign to beat Roosevelt. What had gone wrong? And somebody pointed out that, you know, the, the newspaper industry was universally opposed to Roosevelt in, in this overwhelming way and denounced him in this incredible way. And someone pointed out that in cities, back then the, a city would have more than one newspaper in it. Yeah. And they said that in cities where every single newspaper was anti-Roosevelt, that's where he got his biggest vote totals. How so, interesting. Weirdly, people were reacting not just in favor of Roosevelt, not just uh, to uh, you know to uh, announce their support for the New Deal, but they were they were lashing back against the news media itself, mm -hmm. against the against the newspapers themselves. Uh, a, a lesson that we might. Uh, take to heart <laughs> again, again i point to a song by the propeller heads featuring shirley bassey called history repeating it's all just a little bit of history repeating i hear it go through my head all the time but this is i'm sorry please continue because this is fascinating isn't isn't that a, isn't that extraordinary and so there, there this anti-populist campaign in the 1930s completely crashed and burned okay so that's the first uh, half of the book. The second half is 
is when populism, when the when the word gets flipped, gets stood on its head. Uh-huh. So then in the 1950s, a really interesting thing happens. Uh, and it, it, it happens, uh, there's a group of intellectuals coming up at the time. They were called the consensus intellectuals, consensus, because they believed that there was no uh, real dissent in American mm-hmm. life. Americans had always agreed on all the big things. There had never been any real arguments among Americans all through our history. We were all pretty much there on the same page all along, all the time. And uh, <laughs> just kind of a crazy idea when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, civil, civil war, et cetera. <laughs> but these historians uh, zeroed in on populism as the movement that they had to that they that they disliked and that they uh, that they wanted to uh, denounce. And there was a famous book that came out in 1955 written by a guy called Richard Hofstadter um, called "The Age of Reform," and he was going to go back and do a new history of the period from the 1890s up to the 1930s. And the great villain of his book was the populist movement. Wow! And he he used the tools of psychology uh, to go back and look at populism and say, aha, you know, this was not really a, a, a reform movement. What this was, was it was a sort of pathological, uh, pathological uh, lashing out by people who were downwardly mobile, meaning farmers, that they were huh. seeing their way of life disappear. And so they um, – they were backward looking. There was something psychologically wrong with them. They 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 were victims of of uh, of, of status anxiety and paranoia. And basically, he went through all of the accusations that had been thrown at William Jennings Bryan in 1896, and updated them with 1950s language. Oh my. Uh, Never acknowledged that he did this, by the way. He never never uh, quotes any of those sources from the 1890s. He, he pretends that he came up with this all by himself. Uh, he, he, he sort of reiterates all of those things in the kind of academic language of the 1950s and says that's what populism is. It is – populism is a kind of proto-fascism. When working class people get together, uh, you know, and, and they, uh, it's always this kind of bigoted authoritarianism. And he said populism was uh, xenophobic. Populism was anti-Semitic. Um, <laughs> both things which were manifestly untrue. By sure, the way, he was he was uh, uh, sharply rebuked on on basically all of these things. And the reason he said these things was because he and his friends were very frightened uh, in the 1950s by McCarthyism, you know, which had been this movement attacking intellectuals, calling people communist. Right. And for whatever reason, they decided that uh, McCarthyism was a form of populism and that uh, all working class movements, all movements of working class people uh, basically would, 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 would result in, in something like McCarthyism, in this, these witch hunts and this scapegoating and these dangerous things. And so there, the argument was that you had to reject mass movements of working class people. Those were dangerous. Those led to uh, all sorts of awful authoritarian conclusions. And what you had to have instead was a society in which reform was brought by, well, by people like the consensus intellectuals, by mm-hmm. people who had uh, graduate degrees, by right. uh, highly educated people, people who were supremely rational, who understood psychological theory. The elites, who- perhaps? 
This is by – sorry, say that again. The elites perhaps? The elites, right. But what kind of elites? It's managerial elites. Right. And remember, this is the 1950s. So this is the great heyday of the managerial elite. This is the, the, the great heyday of the organization man. And then this is when all the corporations are being taken over by MBAs. Uh, the Pentagon is being run by Robert McNamara, wow. you know, the, yes. sort of the great genius of managerialism. Um, and, and, and Hofstadter is writing a manifesto for this generation, okay, that this is how you get reform. You get people like me, uh, intellectuals like me. We all sit around a big mahogany table in Washington, D.C., and we come to an agreement. We come to consensus among ourselves, and that's how you get prosperity. That's how you manage an economy. That's how you get reform. That's how you fix everything. You, what you do not want is mass movements of working class people like the labor movement or like the farmers movement because that only leads to all of these pathological things. Now, two things are worth have to be pointed out here. First of all, Hofstadter was wrong about populism. So his history was bad. Mm -hmm. His actual, the, 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 his actual historical work was crushingly refuted by other members of the historical profession, other sociologists. It turns out that, that the, the actual scholarship here was bad, uh, but it didn't make any difference. Hofstadter's vision was repeated by all of these other intellectuals uh, like Daniel Bell, Seymour Lipset, uh, Edward Schills, the, uh, many, many, many of these guys, the consensus generation of intellectuals. They all bought into this and they started using the word populism as a generic term to mean um, racist authoritarian working class movements. Oh, my God. And, yeah, and that and that's where this happened. Now, as I said, it was refuted very quickly. Uh, it, you know, it was, it was shown that that Hofstadter had actually got populism wrong. You know, like really wrong, like completely, totally wrong. But it it didn't make any difference because his understanding of it was so flattering to the new elite class that was coming up in those days. And so, whenever you have people who believe in, remember Daniel Bell's title, "The End of Ideology." Okay. Or Francis Fukuyama, what is it called? Uh, uh, the end of history, or people who write books with titles like Beyond Left and Right, <laughs> or, or, or you know, whenever people talk about this mm -hmm. stuff, mm -hmm. they always use the word populism as the opposite of themselves. They get this from Hofstadter, and that's huh. that's where the modern understanding of it comes from. Wow. And and the joke is that it's all based on a mistake. I mean, it's not funny. No, uh, it's 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 tragic because it poisons. It's it's poisoned our understanding of the past. Uh, you know, it's it's poisoned our understanding of uh, of of the political possibilities before us. You know, the 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 how do you get reform in American life? Well, you know, I'm here to tell you, Nicole, that the 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 great managerial dream of a bunch of uh, elites, you know, all chummy with one another, sitting around a table in Washington D.C. That doesn't really work. Right. Isn't that the Bilderbergs? Is that what well, they no, do? No, that's like where we are today. Oh, right. That's, that's, that's gotcha. how DC works. Yes, it is. And it, but it doesn't really deliver all those great things that no. people thought back no. in the 1950s. It doesn't really work. Uh, you know, and the, the, I mean, the, 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 the examples are there are so many of them. The Vietnam War. You know, is a sort of great triumph of the managerial elite. It was a catastrophe. The Iraq War. Same thing. 
the financial crisis, you know, all of these uh, these professional elites agreeing with one another and, and driving the country off a cliff because no one no one could see it coming right. or the uh, you know, the, the response to it when the people in government, the elites in government bailed out their buddies on Wall Street and didn't didn't take any kind of measures. No, to it, prosecute it, or punish them or break up their banks or and, reform. I mean, they did do some reform, right? It was called Dodd Frank, but it was just <laughs> it, it was just a band aid, right? But then you look where we are today, Thomas or, Frank. The, the, by the way, the greatest elite failure, in some ways, depending on how you look at it, the greatest elite failure of our time is the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016. Huh. Huh. Do you ever think about this, Nicole? It, it, it was managed by the greatest political consultants of our time. You know, these are the the most brilliant minds in the Democratic Party. Did you hear that? There's a I did. Oh, God. That, that usually happens here where I am. I'm in Florida. We're, we're having them every day this wow. summer. It's so weird. Wow. That's... But, um, but the, a campaign managed by the greatest consultants in the political game. Right. They go up against a guy who's the most – who's never run for office before and is the most unpopular presidential candidate of all time. Right. And, and his campaign manager, Steve Bannon, has never managed a political campaign before. And these great consultants, these geniuses, this great union of the expert class, of the professional class, you know, the Hillary Clinton campaign, they lose to this guy. Yeah. And then they get kicked upstairs. They get jo- nice jobs at uh-huh. Harvard, at uh-huh. Google, at you know uh, Uber, whatever it is. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. It happens over and over again. It, it's incredibly frustrating. And then they denounce populism, right? Of course, because they're the, the, the deplorables. And and so here we are. And and then you get uh, Trump and his oh, cronies and at the-, the most obvious point, which you just made, which is that this anti-populist sentiment. Starts on the extreme right, okay? Yes. It bankers, newspapermen, uh, uh, you know, uh, clergymen of the 1890s. These are these are racist individuals. These are people who believe government should never lift a finger for the poor or for people who are in trouble. They hate populism. That whole idea, their whole way of understanding. Uh, this movement and working class people generally then gets adopted by Richard Hofstadter and his friends, who are liberals. The liberal consensus. And today, this whole anti populist uh, 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 sort of scheme is uh, characterized. The, the people who, who use it now are the center left. Right. It's the you know it's like the Clinton campaign. It's all it's the pundit bureau. Have I to, have I used that word? No, the no, pundit, you have not. But that's a good one. My term. I like that trademark. The, the, that one. The opinion class. Yeah. You know the the little tiny group of people here in Washington and New York that that get to form our opinions <laughs> for us. Right. Right. The same and twenty they people. Are, they are the they are the, the, anti, the great anti populists mm-hmm. of our time. It has gone from right to left. It's the most um, extraordinary thing. But we then we also have what's happening right now with the the Black Lives Matter movement, with the people standing up and fighting back against police brutality, and you know uh, this this is a populist movement. That that's how you have to describe it. It's close to it. it. It's close to it. It's not one yet. It's not one yet. My next question is why? Thomas Frank, author of The People Know, is my guest. We'll get his answer to that question in just a moment as the broadcast continues. I'm Nicole Sandler filling in today for Brad and Desi. 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Let the Upon the meek, the grace is showered. It's decree, the people rule. You're listening to the Bradcast, the radio home of Brad Friedman. I'm your guest host, Nicole Sandler. You can always find me at NicoleSandler.com, hosting my own show. So please come visit and check it out. Right now, we're in the middle of a fascinating conversation with one of my favorite guests over the years, Thomas Frank, whose new book, The People Know, offers a history of the anti-populism movement. So let's get back to it. As I float the idea that with Black Lives Matter and the recent rise in activism, we're actually embarking on a new populist movement. Uh, Thomas Frank says, not quite yet. We also have what's happening right now with the, the Black Lives Matter movement, with the people standing up and fighting back against police brutality. And, you know, uh, this, this is a populist movement. That, that's how you well, have to it's describe close it. To it. It's close to it. It's not one yet. Okay. Why? Well, the the name is populist. Black Lives Matter is there's something very 1930s about that name. Mm-hmm. You think about it. It's it's mm-hmm. saying it's insisting on the humanity of the most discriminated against people in society. And I and I love that, by the way. Yes. I think that's I think that's perfect. But populism is traditionally is a movement about uh, economic democracy, and Black Lives Matter isn't there yet. Uh, okay, but. They're getting there. And I'm here to tell you, Nicole, if they um, – the day that it does that it does go into economic issues and start – I mean it, this, thing will, this thing will explode. Yeah, it, it, it will become huge. And this is exactly the time when we need something like that. I mean look at where we are. Universal health care is looking real good right now. You think? <laughs> Bernie Sanders yeah. is looking yeah. really good right now, but it's those same elites who kept him down. And that was a populist movement. And Bernie Sanders, and to some extent Elizabeth yes. Warren, before she kind of went wishy-washy on us, really had that momentum going. And then it's the, the elite tragic. of the it's party so shut it down. What happened to those two? It just – I, I, in some ways, I can't even think about it because it makes me so upset you because me they both. were so right yeah. and they were so with the moment. Yep. And uh, – uh, and they, and then they 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 went down, you know, fighting with each other. Yeah. Uh, uh, right before the pandemic hit. Yes. And uh, I I don't know. I mean, I, you can if you catch me on a good day, I'll say maybe Joe Biden gets it, and maybe Joe Biden. You know, Bernie likes Joe Biden. Bernie yeah. Sanders thinks Joe Biden's great. I know. And maybe Joe Biden will 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 come through, and will deliver these wonderful things. But I wouldn't hold my breath. No, and with his choice of Kamala Harris, I, I get why he picked her, but I don't think it helps 
uh, us in the goal that we have now of, you know, getting yeah. out of this pandemic, getting out of this place that we're in. And what you mentioned, you know, once the economics hit us, well, we're there. We have a huge eviction crisis oh, yeah. waiting anger, and hunger. Is totally there. And then you just pile that on to all the other anger that's yep. been building over the years from the, you know, deindustrialization and mm-hmm. the trade agreements. And, you know, I'm talking about the stuff that Trump tapped into back in 2016 a lot of which has not really gone away. And uh, yes, the moment is absolutely explosive, is absolutely ready for a genuine populist movement. And I would, oh, I would love to see it. But Nicole, I mean, I know our time grows short. (laughs) I just have to tell you, I've been waiting all my adult life for such a moment. And I thought we had it in 08 with Barack Obama. Yeah, so did I. And I, I thought we had it Last year with Bernie Sanders. So did I. I mean, do you remember when he, uh, every other candidate running for the presidency in the Democratic Party was trying to sound like him? Do you remember that? I do. And I it was do. This, it was this extraordinary moment. And uh, uh, so, what do we do now? How do how do we take populism back and make it work for us? How do we? corral that energy which is there we see it it, it, out in the streets we saw it we saw it on on january 21st 2017 the day after uh what's his name was inaugurated and millions of people took to the streets not just here but around the the world yeah that (laughs) thing so one hope one hopeful thing that, that that i that sanders understood and a lot of other people understand nowadays is that it's not so much about leaders it's about the movement it's about building a mass yeah. movement. Now, it's that's not that's not an easy thing to do. The, okay, that said, we all understand that, or a lot of I shouldn't say we all understand that because I'm about to contradict that. But <laughs> a lot of people understand that it's about building a mass movement. On the other hand, and Nicole, you know this is true. So much of the energy in liberal circles these days is the opposite of movement building. Yeah. It's about purging yep. and canceling and holier than thou and you know declaring people to be deplorables and irredeemables and you know the si- sinful. Yeah. And uh, can I um, take a step back here? The uh, another populist moment that we didn't talk about is the civil rights movement. And there right. was a guy, uh, a lot of uh, that takes up a big part of my book because there's a lot of heroes came out of that. A lot of people who understood. And one of them was a guy called Larry Goodwin. He was a civil rights activist in Texas, and he later became this great historian in the 1970s and wrote uh, in some ways the the greatest uh, treatment of 1890s populism that's ever been written. It's very long. It's called Democratic Promise, and it's – you know, it's a it's a classic. And then after he wrote that, he he was a professor at Duke University, and he um, was working on oral history stuff. And he wrote articles about how you build a mass movement, how you build a movement like the farmers in the 1890s or the workers in the 1930s or the civil rights movement in the 1960s. What do you have to do? And one of the phrases that he used, and this, when I was doing my research, this phrase really nailed it for me and it came up again and again and again and it's not it's not ideal but it's the closest i've found he said you have to have ideological patience ideological patience because right. the people that you're working with are uh they didn't go to graduate school nicole uh, they probably didn't go to college mm-hmm. they're ordinary people they they don't know the vocabulary uh they, they might not be right on all 
you know, on all the issues, you know, and nevertheless, that's who you have to work with. If you really want to build a mass movement of ordinary people, which in a country like ours is the only way you're going to get universal health care, the only way you're going to get uh, some kind of real democratic reform of this economy mm-hmm. is by building that mass movement. This is what you have to work with. These are this is the raw materials, and you have to practice ideological patience with these people. But we don't do that these days, Nicole. No. We, we go entirely the opposite direction. Our movement today, or our such as it is, liberalism today, is all about purging and denouncing, and uh, blacklisting even. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, you know it, it, sometimes I I just I can't believe what. You know where we're going. It's like it's like Twitter has done something to our brains. We think <laughs> well, we all think that. Yep. We all think we're on reality TV, mm-hmm. and that if we if we can just be the most righteous one out there, we're going to win the game. You know, and everybody else gets canceled off the island, and it's and it's just us left, and then we win. And I'm here to tell you that's not how it works. No, and but <laughs> I've noticed you have succumbed, and you are now on Twitter, where you didn't used to be. Yes. <laughs> And, uh, I'm. Uh, I don't want to say. It. I'm not ashamed of that. I mean, you have to be, and and sometimes it's fun, and and uh-huh. uh, and there's a lot of people who are very clever, and I love reading what they have to say on Twitter. But uh, I can't take it really. I, I can I understand. only be on there. I only go on there once a day. Uh-huh. I can be on there for about half an hour, and it makes me so depressed. <laughs> I understand fully, completely. That, yeah, I get I, it. I have to. Uh, it, it's, it, but it, it involves a lot of of b o u r b o n to to get me back on my feet oh, afterwards. Got it. Uh, duh. I'm a little slow sometimes. I go the other way. Um, yeah, I go for the legal weed. Um, but I, I I'm right there with you. So hey, Thomas Frank, I, I I could talk to you for hours, and I so appreciate your time, and I love hey, the and book, I, and I will do it anytime you want, Nicole. Okay. I'm at your service. Uh, awesome. I, got I will nothing call. Else to do here, except I got to mow the lawn from time to time. You know. Well, then <laughs> I will I will call on you again as I used to because I I love talking to you, but I got to some thing that I saw that I need to ask you about on your website, which is tcfrank.com that people need to visit and explore. You wrote a a blurb about the new book, uh, The People Know, and you wrote The People Know, A Brief History of Anti-Populism. For my final political book, I decided to come to a reckoning with populism, the idea that has defined my career. Your final political book? What? Yeah, well... I'm really sick of this. <laughs> you know? I, uh, I told you, I, I, uh, you know, I started in, in, in the eighties, I started the baffler magazine in wow. 1988 and I expected Reaganism to be reversed. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. thought this country was going to be right. like, okay, back the other direction. Here we go. And it never happened. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been waiting and I've been waiting, I've been writing about this stuff. And I, I feel like I have been, um, like I have been arguing – well, they're not the same thing, but they're interrelated things. What's the matter with Kansas? Mm-hmm. Listen, liberal, and the people know. These are all uh, closely related. They're examining different sides of the same question, and I I, I just feel like um, it's time to go back to what – you know, I, I didn't – I backed into politics. I used to write about cultural history, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and and that was fun, Nicole, and – and, uh, and I want to do that again. Okay. I, 
I get it. That's, that's all that. That's all it. That's all it I is. get it. I used to do music radio, and I miss it. I mean, politics. Oh is, God, I used to write about music. Right. And I, when I started the Baffler magazine, the whole idea was uh, was so I was fascinated by music. I thought music was so important back in the eighties. It still is. And this is this was you know well we we'll I, I, you don't want to <laughs> get me started on this. We'll do that another and, day. Okay. Yeah, we had all these musicians. Anyhow, I'm. I, I, I'm still friends with those people, and mm-hmm. I want to get back to writing about them and, and, their, and their thoughts and their adventures and it's all that sort of thing. I understand. Well, then I'm excited. I'm excited to see what comes next. Yes, um, and it's not like it won't be political. You gotcha. know me, but yes. it won't be about like Democrats and Republicans. Well, maybe it's time to get past Democrats and Republicans. Sure is, yeah. And that might be the place to end. <laughs> I really at today. The end of the end of the road with both of them. You and me <laughs> you know both. I mean? Oh my goodness! We didn't even get to you know uh, the the whole Biden Kamala Harris. I mean, we are in what we're in, and we need to do what we need to do to get the orange menace out of the White House. And then the new fight begins, as I said earlier, before I brought you on. Yeah. Then on I, January twenty first, just tell you so that like, uh, and I know you want to wrap. No, wrap that's fine. Up, we can go I'm, as long I'm, as you want. I'm not. A, I mean, I I am optimistic that Biden will be able to beat Trump this fall. I think he's a man you know, that people have trouble hating mm-hmm. in a way that they 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 found it much easier to hate Hillary <laughs> yes. Clinton, and I don't think that'll be a so much of a problem with Biden. And I, so I think his chances are excellent uh, for this fall. I also don't see how you bungle a pandemic the way Trump has and get, and get reelected. Tell I just, I don't, I, that was a, you know, I don't, I don't see how that's possible. But that said, I don't see any of the things that I've described in what's the matter with Kansas, listen, liberal and the people know, I don't see these things ending. No, I see these things continuing and I see them getting worse. The next Trump uh, is not going to be as stupid as this Trump is not going to be as uh, such a like a, a, an open bigot, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. you know, uh, is 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 not going to be incompetent the way that this guy is. But the the and the Republicans, remember, are supremely good, supremely cynical political players. Yep. And the Democrats are lost in this. Uh, a narcissism of their own, you know, Trump and his narcissism, the hairspray, the tan. <laughs> yes. The Democrats are lost in this kind of moral narcissism. They are in love with themselves and their own virtue, and they can't see past that to understand their own blunders. And I don't see that changing. They, mm-hmm. they had the perfect opportunity twice in the last 20 years, Obama and then, and then Bernie Sanders. That's last, right. And, and, didn't do it both times. And, I, you know, I don't see how that changes. No. Well, it, uh, you got to hope with uh, with a new generation. And I'm, I have some good feeling. I have some confidence in seeing today's young people uh, a little more active, more involved, more yes. uh, concerned with the urgency of the situation we find ourselves in, because this is their future. And they're going, you guys really f***ed it up. Yeah, you're not allowed to say that on the air, by the way. I, I and, know, and that's why I'm not on the air anymore. <laughs> and there's a certain, um, and, and, and the word is disillusionment. That mm-hmm. that uh, that that Obama, you know, the, the the thing about hope is that if you don't follow through, it brings disillusionment, and that's exactly what happened. And you've got this whole young generation of people that came out of the Obama years uh, with, you know, with their hopes uh, left, you know, unfulfilled. That's right. And uh, uh, 
again, I don't think Democrats understand that. I mean, but at a certain point, I don't know. They'll have to. They just have to. They have to to get it. But anyhow, we shall see. We shall see. Thomas Frank, you are a treasure. The book, again, is available now. The people know, get it, read it. It's awesome. Visit tcfrank.com as well and look around. There's a lot of great stuff there, especially all those uh, cartoons. And um, uh, I'm so glad that you're back among us and I can call on you again because I will. Anytime, Nicole. Thank you so much, Thomas Frank. I so appreciate it. You got it. Again, the new book is The People Know, A Brief History of Anti-Populism. The author, the great Thomas Frank. And that does it for another edition of The Bradcast. I'm Nicole Sandler. Please come visit me at NicoleSandler.com. Explore the site. Check out my show as well. Brad and Desi will be back for the next action-packed episode of The Bradcast. Until next time, I'll sign off by saying, I'm Nicole Sandler. Thanks for listening. Save the post office. And good luck, world.